You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, also known as your joyologist. On this podcast, I love having conversations with people who inspire and intrigue me, getting into the journey of their life, and also talking about the work they do, why they do it, how they got there, um, and showing that it's usually not a straight upward line. Uh, The hope is, whether I'm doing a solo episode or I'm talking with someone inspiring, is that you see that you can give yourself a lot more compassion, a lot more love, and that is a lot about what this episode is about. I got to talk with best-selling author Carla Nuremberg, and this is, oh my gosh, I forget, I want to say her fifth book, and it's called You Are Not a Shitty Parent, How to Practice Self-Compassion and Give Yourself a Break. And if you're like, oh, I'm not a parent, I don't need to listen to this, we do talk, of course, about her life a little bit. It's a shorter episode because I only had her for a shorter amount of time, but we don't just talk about that book. And also, as you'll see, like, you know, this is the process for not just being a parent, but for being a human. And she and I had a lot of similarities with this practicing self-compassion. So I really loved chatting with her. Um, all right, let's get into a little bit of her story. And um, afterwards, I might like give you another little bit of a wrap up because it was kind of a shorter conversation just because that was the amount of time I got her for. And I was so like, yes, I want to talk to somebody who wrote a book called You Are Not a Shitty Parent. (laughs) Sometimes I take the amount of time I can get. All right. So here we go. And I would just like to say, you are not a shitty human. Let's just say that. All right. Let's drill that into your mind because whether you're a parent or not, just take it. You are not a shitty human. (laughs) How to practice self-compassion and give yourself a break. Perhaps that could be her next book. (laughs) Okay. So I love hearing, first of all, about people's, you can go earlier than this, but I love the high school years. Oh God. Because I feel like it's so interesting looking back, right? Of how much pressure we can put on ourselves and other people. I'm like, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? after high school. (laughs) So what was high school like for you? And were you thinking like, this is what I want to be when I grow up or having any sort of outside pressure on that? Uh, High school is a mess. So I spent (laughs) half of high school at a small private school in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and half of high school at a very large public school outside of San Francisco in the Bay Area. And I don't remember what I did in high school, but I do remember taking a psychology elective my senior year and thinking, this is the most interesting thing I've studied in four years at high school. So that was probably some decent foreshadowing that I was going to end up in social work. Yeah. Oh, uh, so yeah. So you were in the, the psychology class was in high school. My first one, my very first one. Yep. And that got some interest. So they didn't, when you were graduating high school, did you then go, okay, I think I'm going to go study psychology or what did you do after high school? No, I was like, I'm going to be an Italian major because that's a really super useful degree. (laughs) And then I was like, maybe I should be an English major. Maybe I should study American literature because also very useful. And then finally I was like, oh wait, the only thing I've ever truly been interested is like, interested in is like human behavior and how people relate to each other and how we deal with thoughts and feelings. And so eventually I did end up getting my bachelor's degree in psychology. Got it. So you started, I just also realized 
this different mic. Oh, well, you're hearing me somehow. I am hearing <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, I didn't get to check thing. <laughs> okay. I was like, I think you might be hearing this, which is fine instead of that. I record separately. Um, so you were in and like jumping around, but then you finished. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Focus on I psychology. Finished. Yep. But with a focus on psychology. Yep. And then I went on to get a master's and a PhD in clinical social work. In clinical social work. So what did you imagine yourself to do that pursuit had you pursuing that degree well I had been working with my bachelor's I had been working in a residential school who for kids who had been in the foster care system and and the foster care system was not a match for them so they came to this residential school where they where they were living and I was a teacher for them I was teaching them life skills like the things we thought they should be learning from their parents but I was watching what the social workers were doing working with these kids one-on-one around emotional regulation around processing the trauma in their lives all those sorts of things and I thought I want to do that. Like, that's the cool stuff. And then um, one of my internships in social work school was on a locked inpatient psychiatric unit. And I, I loved that work. I found it very meaningful and important. And I also worked in college counseling. I've worked with children and families and parents. So I've done a bunch of different stuff. And I just, um, I love the work, you know. Uh, so that's, I kind of bounced around, but it all was awesome. But yeah, so so that first work that you were doing in that um, school, was that part of like the psychology program in undergrad? No, that was or after that I was, like, graduated. A job you got. Got it. I so needed you graduated a job. And got that job. Yeah. And then that made you want to go back and get your master's 100%, in social yep. work. Yeah. No, it's like, it's so interesting because I think anytime you hear anyone who does social work or is interested in it, it's like, wow, just imagine the heart to do that because also what we know about this I think immediately unfortunately is like oh social work so you don't make any money no no you don't make any money that's <laughs> like oh wow so you do you're a really great human that's doing great work and you are not being uh paid well for it which is like a choice that really affects people and what they're gonna go into it, it is and to be really honest to all your listeners out there um So right now, I'm not in clinical practice. I write books, and then I have a full-time job working for a children's literacy program. Um, Because I have two children. My daughters are 14 and 12, and there just wasn't really a social work position that I felt like this is – they're paying me enough at this point in my life to, you know, take this time away from my kids, away from parenting to go do this work. So right now I'm doing different work. I'm writing books. I'm doing things that give me a lot more flexibility, but I'm still keeping up my social work license. And my hope is that when the girls are out of the house, I'll go back into some kind of clinical practice. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. You want to get back into that. Um, Yeah. That's what I was like. Obviously it's hoping that will change that like the work that people are doing and then what they have to sacrifice in order to do it, actually, probably for in their own lives. Um, so what then? So yeah, you have how many books out now? I just published my fourth book. So your fourth book. Yeah. So what led you to start writing in the first place? Uh, I think I wrote my first book when I was like six years old, and it was a really terrible story. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> that one actually didn't pick up a publisher. You might be surprised to know. No, no. But I remember saying to my grandfather. <laughs> no bidding wars. <laughs> yeah, it was like really a bad book. Um, I remember saying to my grandfather when I was a little kid, I want to write books someday. And that's how I'll know that I'm smart because I've written a book. And my grandfather was like, you should totally write books. And I'm sure in the back of his mind, he was thinking about all the like perhaps not terribly smart people who have published books. But it's just always been something I've wanted to do. So uh, when I became a mother uh, almost 14 years ago now, I I wasn't planning to write a book, but it was it was hard, right? It was super challenging. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I started writing about it on blog posts. I started writing articles and then that sort of became a book and then it turned into another one. And now I'm four books in and I've got another one coming out maybe next year or the year after. Wow. So it started, which is not for all authors, but fairly common that you started writing a blog and then it turns into, and was yours, what were you writing about? Was it like your authentic experience with, oh shit, parenting is hard? <laughs> um, By the way, you can cuss on this podcast. <laughs> it's always authentic because I, I don't necessarily know any other way to be, which isn't always so great for me, Same. but that's how I roll. Um, so when my kids were really little, I was losing my shit a lot with them, right? And so I really wanted to find a way to not do that so often because that wasn't how I wanted to parent. I remember I had just finished a doctorate in clinical social work. So I had like a PhD in family dynamics, overwhelming feelings, and confusing thoughts. And I literally sat down at Google and typed in, how do I stop screaming at my kids? Like I was reduced to Dr. Google because I didn't know what else to do. And that led me to the world of mindfulness, which I was very reluctant to get involved in because I thought it was a bunch of BS. And it turns out it was, you know, learning about mindfulness and self-compassion led to not only me becoming a more present and patient parent, I wouldn't say perfectly present and patient parent because I'm not that, but I'm better than I was. And it also led to my third book, which was called How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids. And my current book, which is called You Are Not a Shitty Parent, How to Practice Self-Compassion and Give Yourself a Break. I love it. So, so your search in Google that night ended up leading you to mindfulness yeah. and self-compassion. I love that because I self-compassion like is such a big thing for me. And like I lead different coaching groups and stuff like that. And I'm like constantly like that's the thing I'm constantly driving home because I'm like we're humans. And as much work you do on yourself and all of that, we're going to have doubts and fears and comparison and judgments and shame and we're going to lose our shit. And like as good as you do, you can check off every I have drank the green smoothie. I have eaten this thing. I have meditated. I have whatever. Like you can try to like write, do all of these things and we're human. And so like, yeah, like continual self-compassion. Like, and I feel like radical self-compassion is sort of like a superhero trait of myself. And that because of it, it means that I can have such greater self-compassion for others. And that I get, of course, of surely get upset with them and that doesn't mean like their thing is right but like yeah like not having to hold things so strongly oh yes like i mean this or that i will tell you trisha before i became a parent and in my early years of parenting i was the most judgmental person you've ever met like i could judge every parent for everything what kind of stroller they used what kind of nuggets they fed their kid you know which baby class they were going to whether or not they were making their toddler play soccer or not like i had an opinion and a judgment about everything and of course it had nothing to do with the other parents it was a hundred percent about me and my shit right and once I started practicing self-compassion once I wasn't judging myself so hard and so frequently 
all of a sudden I stopped judging other parents. And now when I see another parent struggling and their kid is like boneless on the floor of the grocery store, I don't think, oh, they're a terrible parent. What I think is, oh, they must be having a really hard day. And I think, oh my gosh, parenting is hard. It's just so hard even when you're doing it right. Say yeah, I'm like now just looking at people like, like God love you. Yeah, I got, I can't do anything for you, but I see you. No, no, I know. I got. (laughs) Oh my goodness, yeah. I'm interested to hear what you think about this theory. Um, I wrote my first book this year. I didn't write it this year. (laughs) It came out this year. (laughs) I delivered it. Um, Congratulations, (laughs) that's amazing. Thank you. But it is, so it is really like about mindfulness. I gave up the word should over a decade ago. What? And you don't think that that's mindfulness. So I gave up this one word and it made me so mindful of what I was thinking and believing at all times. And so I ended up swapping the word out most of the time for want, which was huge for me. So then I'm constantly coming back to myself like, oh, what do I... I want instead of like, what should I do? Anyway, I that one love that, that one thing. So well, I'll send you the book. Can I send you the yeah, book? Yeah, but first you <laughs> have to like, tell, you don't- tell all your listeners and me the name of the book. Oh, it is called F the Shoulds, Do the Wants. Get clear Stop on who it. you are, what you want, and why you want it. I love oh. that. <laughs> I, I, I should read. No, I want to read that book. Ah, <laughs> see what I did there? Good catch, good catch, good catch. You are good. <laughs> But so, um, no, so I realized like a lot of this is, a lot of it is the self-judgment that we have. And I, in the, in the, in one of the chapters that is talking about the self-judgment and how so often it was really like me acting as if the world is judging me was really my own judgments of myself, like that we're constantly judging ourselves. And so then like talking about moms judging each other and this like mom shaming and it like makes no freaking sense like especially once I became a mom I'm like whoa yeah this is so hard why are people why like why are we doing this in my theory was that it feels as if like there's only two ways. And so if somebody is doing something different than you, then like then they automatically believe that's the right way and anything else is wrong. And so like you automatically think, you know, like our brains are sort of pro as like self-defense mechanism that like, oh, well, they did sleep training. So they must think co-sleeping. So like, no, I'm right and you're wrong. It's like we have to automatically be like, I'm just going to go ahead and judge those people because I'm afraid they're going to judge me and I want to make sure that I'm right and not wrong. It's like this bananas thing that must happen in our mind that we feel the need to judge others. And how does that serve us? It it doesn't. And yet we all do it, right? Which is why I love your book so much. We all do it. And I think there's two ways to handle it. One is try to practice more self-compassion for yourself because that'll tone down your own judgment and your likelihood to judge others. Excuse me. And when you end up in a conversation where it is clear that you are being judged, time to leave that conversation, right? Whether it means you find another crew to hang out with on the playground or you stop following certain social media posts because they feel too judgmental, like I'm done with those conversations. I want to be surrounded by kindness and humor and women and moms and dads and parents and humans who uplift each other and support each other. And so I can tell you, Trisha, that, you know, I maybe got my kid to sleep this way or that way, but I'm going to make sure and share it in a way that you know that I think there's a bunch of different ways to get your kid to sleep. And the most important thing is that, A, please just get your kid to sleep. We all need sleep. I haven't slept since <laughs> yeah. the Obama administration. But also... Um, that if you can't get your kid to sleep, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It means some kids just aren't sleepers. And that's horrible. Yeah, and I'm sorry. It's, like, it's freaking hard. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, but that's just one example. But um, yeah, and that's the thing. Like also too, I feel like we can be so hard on ourselves. Like we're always going to end up having judgments, but it doesn't mean we have to like get sucked into that. Be like, oh, <laughs> this is me judging myself or judging them for that. What's going on there? All right. Okay, got it. Like so questioning the thoughts. You all no joke. I'm not just saying this. <laughs> the protein blends from Sprout Living continue to blow my mind. They taste so freaking good and are made of the best ingredients that you can feel a difference right away from drinking them. So let me tell you, Sprout Living are made with the best ingredients. They are the most delicious. I am trying the coffee flavor for the first time today, and it's just so good. Everything is so good. But besides it having the coffee flavor, I mean, it's not just coffee flavor, it's made with coffee, but there's also adaptogens, nootropics, prebiotics, superfoods in the blend that give you so much more than the protein. That is why I added them, right? So they actually give me like clear thought, energy, good things for your stomach. There's no weird fake aftertaste, no fillers, no like quote unquote natural flavorings that aren't natural, no weird additives. Everything that they add is intentional. And again, every single flavor is spot on. I don't know if you've tried a lot of protein powders, but I have. <laughs> and I gave up for years because the flavor was just off, weird, too sweet, no sweetener. And so then I had to figure out my own way to sweeten it. They make it so easy to put it in any smoothie and to also just put a couple spoonfuls with water in a shaker cup and get all of this goodness in your body. So go check out Sprout Living. You can use my code CLAIMIT20 for 20% off. Go to SproutLiving.com. I'm telling you, every flavor I've had has been amazing. The Epic Mindful Matcha, if you love matcha, is a must-have. Chocolate Lucuma, of course, chocolate. Vanilla, uh, I mean... You know, we can't go wrong with vanilla. And then again, like I said, I just tried coffee today. So freaking good. Okay, go to sproutliving.com. Use code CLAIMIT20 for 20% off your order. This is an easy way to add nutrients to your day that tastes good and makes you feel good. Let's get back to you. So the most, well, for, wait, what was the first book? The first book was called Parenting in the Present Moment, and it was very earnest and not at all sweary because I just finished my doctorate oh. and I still hadn't realized you could swear in books. And <laughs> it's a lovely book. It's a lovely book. It's it's a different style because I really came into my own Got voice, it. which is a little, uh, well, a lot funnier and a little more profane and kind of sarcastic, but very compassionate. But I didn't realize I could write the way I think at that point in my writing process. Right. Yeah. It, yeah, I my book is written in like I'm talking to you, and it was actually it, it got. I realized the first couple of chapters that I wrote though it was hard for me to do that. Oh. Like I was like, oh no, am I allowed to do this? I <laughs> it is hard, yeah. But once you get into it, it's so much more fun. Oh my gosh, no, it's the best. Um, so okay, so that was your first book. What was the what's the one that was like your first one of like you feeling like you're fully 
owning your voice. Oh, yeah. That was my third book, How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids. And what was happening was, you know, I was watching the New York Times bestseller list as everyone obsessively does, right? I mean, we all just do that. Yeah, totally. So anyways, I was watching the New York Times bestseller list and I started seeing all these books with profanity in the title. And I was like, oh, shit, we can do that. So then it was my birthday weekend a few years ago and the girls were with their grandparents and my husband and I went on a hike and we're walking along and I just looked at him and I said, you know, I should write a book called How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids. And he's like, you should totally write that book. And then I was like, I guess I better figure out how to stop losing my shit with my kids. And he was like, yep, yeah, you should. <laughs> and um, so that's a great idea for a book. I wish somebody would write it. Write that. But no, but in all seriousness, it was a it was a, a practice that I had been working on for years at that point. Uh with my own sort of mindfulness practice, but also my professional research and trying to understand more about emotional regulation and why it's so hard, why it's so freaking hard to stay calm when your kids are pushing your buttons. And so then that was, um, that's really my best selling book is how to stop losing your shit. And now you are not a shitty parent has been out for over a month. It's doing great. And it really seems to be resonating with readers. And so obviously you wrote an entire book about how to not lose your shit with your kid, I just did I change no. the name? How to stop losing? <laughs> yeah, how to stop losing one. your shoe? I don't even know the name of my book. Something. But if you could give us a, a very cliff note version, <laughs> I just lost my shit with my kids last night. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I did too. We all do. Like, I I still do. Yeah. And I wrote the book. You didn't write the book. No, again, it's the like. Oh, right. Okay, this is happening again. But no, like, what is like a brief like tip you can give us from that? So. A lot of people think it's just willpower, right? You just decide I'm not going to scream at my kids and then you work really hard and like, you know, clench down and I don't know, and bite your tongue and you're not going to lose it. And that's actually not how it works and you're never going to be effective that way. So the goal is our kids push our buttons. That's what they do. They are professional button pushers. And I feel like a lot of the parenting advice out there is about how to get your kid to stop pushing your buttons. My book is about how to make your buttons smaller and darker and less visible and less pushable so that when the kids come at you with their little fingers out, either they can't find a button, there's nothing there to push, or they have to push it 12 or 13 times before you lose it, as opposed to those moments when we're so on edge, the kid just walks in the room and looks at us and like, that's enough to send us over the cliff, right? So it's really about like a very clear, pragmatic, funny, accessible outline of how to take care of yourself in very specific ways so that your buttons are darker, dimmer, and less pushable. Very cool. Okay. And so the newest one is you're not a shitty yeah, parent. Yeah. You are not a shitty parent. Yeah. <laughs> and so that one, what is the like, yeah, I do think that that, I feel like still like my mom is like wanting me to be like a tell her like I know I was I just a bad parent like you know like I feel you know what I mean like she, I mean she says that to me like actually like sometimes I'm like I know it was I such I'm such a bad mom Aww. or I was such a bad mom or something and I'm like no um but yeah like how do you feel like that affects people that are like bearing this like like such a heavy thing to have to like wear if like you really are feeling like 
I'm a shitty Look, parent. Look, it is, it is so painful to truly believe that you are a shitty parent, right? It's exhausting. It makes us feel anxious and confused and overwhelmed and stressed. And it's really hard to parent well when you feel that way. And so we're in this like horrible paradox where we think we're shitty parents. We want to do better. But the all this obsessive thinking about how much we're screwing up makes it impossible to do better. And so one of the things I really try to do in the book is shift parents' thinking. And I say this fairly controversial thing that I absolutely believe, which is that I don't believe there is such a thing as a shitty parent. I don't believe it. I believe that there are parents who aren't parenting the way they want to. I believe that there are parents who are parenting in pretty problematic ways. But I don't think they're shitty parents or shitty people. I think they are parents who don't have the information, support, and resources they need to do better. So when we when we look at them that way, instead of labeling someone and shaming them and blaming them, which just leaves you feel stuck, you're screwed, there's nothing to do from there, when we can instead look at these folks and say, what's going on and what do you need? That's such a kinder, more compassionate approach. And all of a sudden, it opens up all these conversations about how can we help these folks and how can they do better? And that's really what we want, right? We want to help everyone be better parents. Yeah, uh, I love that like yeah when you first say no one's a shitty parent then I'm sure like you know alerts go off where yet yeah, you think of like the worst possible yeah. it's like well yeah but then when you add right well they're without the resources information all of those things it's like okay right then it can like open up this again compassion but those people that we're thinking of in that scenario are not out there looking for a book <laughs> not to be well, then somebody should give it to them because I'm sure they you really know, want that. But no, don't, well, they probably are in need of much more resources of like the worst case scenario oh, of people yeah. that we're thinking yeah. of. Is this any parent? Yeah. So they need a lot more resources in care. Um, is that too? I mean, I make, I make up. So this book is not just for someone who was really like carrying along that belief, but also, you know, like I said, I had uh, you have another book to address me uh, freaking out of my kids last night. But also that can be, you know, like that's the residue that afterwards feeling like, whew, I feel bad because that happened. And so instead of being able to give myself the self-compassion, which I am a pro at self-compassion. <laughs> so like, OK, <laughs> like, OK, yeah, that happened. All right. What? What have I learned from this? Okay, what can I treat for different? Like, and even telling my kids for me is a big like, oh, you know, yeah, earlier, I'm <laughs> that wasn't <laughs> a great of mommy. Like, you know, like for me, it's having a conversation with my kids when I am feeling like, oh, I do not like how I acted to like being honest with them about how I felt and how I'm feeling now. And like, oh, I didn't probably handle that very well. And yeah, like, and for me, it was, I was like, I was hangry. I did not. Have you heard of hangry yet, kids? My kids are five and seven. I didn't eat dinner. <laughs> Angry is like my my life. That happens to me all the time. I mean, there were other elements from their part, sure. but also that added to that. Um, but yeah, like that that's what happens. Like we do something and instead of like looking at ourselves with self-compassion and being like, oh, okay, that, that doesn't feel great that this happened or whatever, then it's just I'm a shitty parent and like staying in that. Is that what you feel like eye makeup can happen? Like instead of being able to be like, oh, well, that sucked that that happened today or that that's what how I did. And then like looking through it with the more compassionate energy than they're just like, and here we go. I'm a shitty parent. Absolutely. I mean, I, I want I want parents to move from a headspace of 
I'm terrible at this. I'm failing at this. I'm the only one who can't stay calm or I'm the only one who missed summer camp sign up or I'm the only one who forgot to send my kid to school with lunch or whatever it is. Like, let's move away from that sort of isolating, judgmental talk and let's move to, yep, like I miss the mark. That happens sometimes. It happens for all of us. Like, oh, well, I lost it with my kids and wasn't my best moment, but it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm here now. I can calm down. I can go apologize, reconnect with my children. We can have a conversation about what happened. You know, I, I may feel bad and that's okay. We're allowed to feel bad, right? No feeling is ever wrong. Some of them are incredibly unpleasant, but no feeling is ever wrong. So it's okay that I feel bad. Now, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to sit here and stew about how much I suck? Or am I going to remind myself that parenting is hard for everyone? Just because it's hard, it doesn't mean I'm doing it wrong. And maybe what I need is a little TLC, right? A little self-care in this moment. Love it. And yeah, you brought up um, when you're bringing up some of those examples, like, yeah, I was thinking of shitting parents, like of ways that react. But yeah, like how often people might be categorizing themselves as a shitty parent or just I'm not good enough in some way because of comparing how they do things to how other parents do things or like, yeah, what they have packed for lunch and stuff too. So is that, is there like that sort of? Oh yeah. Look, I think approach in the book too. Like, yeah, like I was only thinking of like, I messed up. Like I was like this, but like, yeah, the ways that we do like that's for me, I feel like we're like stealing joy from ourselves and being present because we're looking too much. Oh no, what they're doing. Oh, this, this focusing on that instead of, Oh, okay. This is how I do absolutely. And look, what works for our family. Comparison is insidious and it's brutal. And our brains are wired for comparison because the truth is that human beings need to be a part of a tribe to survive. And so when the human brain was evolving, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, thousands, I don't know, I don't know, time has no meaning for me anymore. But a long, long time ago when the human brain was evolving, uh, it evolved for comparison because we needed to make sure we were part of our tribe. And one of the best ways to make sure that you have a place in the community is to constantly be watching what every what every other person is doing so that you know you're not being the total weirdo out in left field who's going to get left out in the tundra so some saber-toothed tiger can eat you. I don't know if they live in tundra. I don't know where they live. So the point is our brains are literally wired for comparison. And it used to be that we would compare ourselves to the folks in our neighborhood who lived near us, who sent their kids to the same schools as us. And, you know, maybe they were a little different. I hope there was some diversity, but, you know, that generally speaking, they had similar resources, similar challenges. But now, thanks to COVID, we all, you know, went indoors and our parenting communities went online, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, because if you're the person who is a person of color in a white neighborhood or an LGBTQ parent in a straight neighborhood or a non-Christian parent in a Christian neighborhood, it's hard to be different. And it's nice to be able to go online and find your tribe. But it also means that we are comparing ourselves to literally every other parent on the planet. And in my worst moments, Trisha, I got to tell you, I was like, oh my God, Gwyneth Paltrow has fresh fish delivered to her house every day. I'm a terrible parent because I am not having fresh fish delivered to my house every day. (laughs) Just to be clear, Gwyneth was not having fish delivered. Her freaking staff was having (laughs) fish delivered. Secondly, I don't even cook. My husband cooks. So what am I getting all hung up about the fish about? I don't know. My crazy brain was like, good mothers definitely have fresh fish delivered. Like, what? That's bonkers. (laughs) And that's some internet level comparison crap happening right there. Because before the internet, I had no idea what Gwyneth Paltrow was doing. And honestly, I was probably a better person for it. (laughs) Okay, I know that you got to go. What is like a last thing that you want to say about your book? You're for parents out there in general. (laughs) 
I would want every parent to know that no matter what you're struggling with, you are not alone. I promise. Just because parenting is hard, that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. And self-compassion, which you can learn about in my book, will make parenting um, a whole lot easier and more fun. Love that. And I feel like is that I feel like that's such a great gift to give as well. Like buying it for yourself, but also like I don't know if people are like, what? Do you think that I'm a shitty parent? But I don't know. I feel like it's a good gift. I don't know if that would make somebody be questioned, like, why is this person giving me <laughs> But you know for the friends you know that you know yeah. well, you will know if they think that way about themselves. And so yes, if you think you have a friend who could benefit from the book, I would be delighted if you gave them a copy or you can check it out of your local library or whatever works. That'd be great. But not even, yeah, like it's not even for people who think that. I just think in general, as parents, like those are, it's like a natural like thing that we're fighting. So like, why not be like, oh, look at this book. Like <laughs> sprinkle it around like confetti and glitter. I want it everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, spread that compassion. Thanks, Carla. Trisha, this was, was so much fun. And thanks for everything, all the energy you put out in the world. It's really good stuff. Okay, I really enjoyed being able to talk to Carla. And like I said, we had a short period of time. Um, and as I was pulling up like the information sheet that was sent to me about her, I noticed that there were some great things they sent me about the book that we didn't necessarily get into because I just, you know, normally go intuitively with what we're talking about. I like to get into people's journey. But I loved, so there are like sort of four tenets that her book will support you through or get, take you on this journey of. And again, I, whether you're a parent or not, I think these are so great for all of us. So one is noticing, two is connection, three is curiosity, and four is kindness. So one with noticing, the goal is to notice the drama in your mind rather than getting sucked into it. And this is why I know I say in my book over and over again, two F the shoulds do the one. Sometimes it's just naming the thought, saying, oh, this is a not enough thought, or oh, this is a fear, or this is a doubt. Like just by naming what you're feeling can alleviate that. So same with hers, noticing. The goal is to notice the drama in your mind, but not get sucked into it. Like, oh, here I am spiraling. Here I am getting all worked up, whatever it is. Here I am losing my shit. <laughs> so the noticing is number one. Two, she says, is connection. Connection is the antidote to all the shame and self-imposed isolation that is common to sufferers of shitty parent syndrome. So the ability to remind ourselves of our common humanity is the goal, but it's not always easy. So in the book, she takes you through different strategies to help you feel less alone. But so with I see that, the connection is to remind yourself like, oh, this is just the human experience. You're not an awful person because you're thinking this, acting this way, because you spun out, whatever it is. Like, remember that you are not alone in this. That's how I would purvey it. Three is curiosity. Oh, yeah, I love curiosity. Curiosity takes us a step beyond noticing instead of jumping to conclusions or immediately reacting to something we've noticed that we or our children have done or not done. We can ask ourselves or them why the situation is the way it is. Being curious about what lies behind an action or feeling rather than judge it is an inherently kind response to an any situation. So again, in the book, she's going to have tools on that curiosity. Oh, why am I getting so up? 
Maybe it's, why haven't you cleaned your room yet? Hey, I've asked you several times to get your shoes on because we're leaving. Why haven't you done that? I don't know if that's the answer or not. I'll have to get the book to look on it soon. (laughs) Notice I went to the um, putting your shoes on as I, um, yeah, that last week, my kids getting out of the house in the morning, I don't know what happened, but I feel like every day was such a freaking struggle of like saying over and over, okay, get dressed. Okay, do this. Okay, do that. So I have been trying to brainstorm. How can we make it smoother? How can we make it so they actually listen to what I'm asking them to do smoother so I'm not losing my shit on them? Four is kindness. When we take care of ourselves in concrete ways, we're teaching our children and giving them permission to take care of themselves when they're suffering. So in the book, she's going to learn teach you self um, practices such as kind self-talk, kind stories, single tasking that can help boost regular injections of kindness into our lives. So those were the four like tenants <laughs> that she teaches in the shitty parent um, syndrome or in how to not be a shitty parent. Um, I'm also, they sent me these 15 key takeaways for you are not a shitty parent. And I'm just going to um, read a couple of them that stand out to me. Because again, I feel like this is whether you're a parent or not, like when we just go to like, oh, I'm a shitty human. So that we don't practice self-compassion to make ourselves better. Each time we focus on making ourselves feel better, the underlying message, because we feel bad and are suffering or all suffering, is worthy of kindness. It's okay to not feel better. It's okay to feel bad and take care of ourselves in the process. Interesting way that she expressed that. Uh, self-compassion is a practice. The more you do it, the easier you will naturally come to it. I definitely feel that. And I have also found, I think I say in the episode that with my own self-compassion, it gives me this natural compassion for others. So that doesn't mean that like, oh, whatever they did is okay, or that's right. It just sort of like, uh, it, it lessens the anger or the like, what the F is that person doing sort of and just being like, okay, what they're doing is not right. And having compassion because they must be like suffering in some way that that's their reaction, that that's how they're acting. Um, uh, Here's one chaos is the normal, predictable outcome of life with kids. (laughs) It doesn't mean we're not parenting well enough or doing anything wrong. Love that reminder. Some hardships in life are unavoidable. Mm-hmm. But while denial and distraction are completely normal human reactions to our suffering, they also make life and parenting harder and less fun. So instead of denying the hardships to like meet them, meet meet them. Okay, this is going to be hard. Meeting with kindness, meeting with self-compassion. Um, let me pick out at least one more. This is when we get stressed and don't know how to respond to situations. We often freak out, fight, fleet, fight, flight, freeze, flip out, fix, or fawn. And the more we practice self-compassion, the more we can manage our lives and parent our children from a place of calm, clarity, creativity, creativity, and confidence. 
Connection is the antidote to shame. Remembering that parenting is incredibly hard for every single one of us and connecting with the people who love us and will be real with us as often as possible possible are game changers. And again, that's not if you're a parent, but remembering that just being a human is hard, (laughs) right? And so again, seeking out that compassion. I hope that this conversation and these takeaways support you wherever you are in your journey of life, whether you're a parent or not. Again, because it's just, you're not a shitty human. You're not a shitty parent. Giving yourself more compassion and kindness and that there, I believe, is always time for that, to come back from that, right? There's always time to heal and turn those connections around. They just might take more time and connection, but it does start with ourselves, right? I think that if you're wanting to heal a connection, then it starts with healing your connection with yourself to be able to come to that space, to come to that person um, from that true openness and groundedness, if that makes sense. So really compassion is so key and so healing. Go check out Carla's book, You Are Not a Shitty Parent, and her other books as well. And of course, I recommend you get my book as well, F the Shoulds, Do the Once, as I am teaching you a lot of self-compassion in that book. And and because it is really this uncovering of what you've been led to think you should believe and should do and all of this. And so uncovering those shoulds takes a lot of self-compassion, allowing yourself to think about what you do want. Um, Yeah. So go get both books, F the Shoulds, Do the Once. You can get it at ftheshouldsdothewants.com. There's links for all the places there. Go check out Carla's book. I will link it in the show notes. But, you know, books are available where books are sold. (laughs) So wherever you go buy your books. So you are not a shitty parent. I am sending out so much love to you. You are not a shitty human. (laughs) You are not a shitty parent. You are not a shitty human. And a reminder to join me in my From the Heart community. I send out heart talks, mind talks, pep talks in both written and audio form. The audio form is much shorter than these podcasts. It's um, usually, you know, three to five minutes, love notes talking right to you. You can go to trishahuffman.substack.com backslash subscribe and see the options there. There's a free membership where you get like one to two written posts a month. And then otherwise you can join for, I think it's $12 a month. And if you join annually, it's cheaper than that. You can even become a founding member and get a free 30 minute or not free, a bonus, I guess, 30 minute one-on-one call with me. Uh, I cannot believe there's only one month left in the year. Uh, wow. Time flies. So, um, yeah, if you are looking to move into your new year and end this year with more reflection, with more trying to figure out what it is that you do want, what you don't want and more support, hit me up at underscore Trisha Huffman. Go to my website, yourjoyologist.com. I do have one-on-one coaching offerings available and I am creating what I think (laughs) will be launching in the new year, a new special container space that will be an ongoing space, weekly meetups um, of connection, of support. And I'm really, really excited about that. And uh, it'll be invite only at first. So if you're interested at all, send me a DM, 
hit me up with an email, sending you out so much love and reminder to go shop my products before they disappear. I am selling out of all products and we'll see what 2023 brings. So go to shop.yourdoyologist.com, stock up on gifts. I think the keychains would be so good. You could add them to gifts, like the wrapping. I've also seen people do them for like if they're having dinner parties, whatever, as like part of the table setting to use the keychains. Um, so the keychains are a really fun thing to add to gifts as well, but they also make an awesome gift that's affordable to give to your loved ones that have an awesome message on there. You are, a ma- or I am magic. I am a badass. I choose joy. See the good. F the shoulds do the once. Just a few of the phrases. All right. Sending you love. Reminder, you are not a shitty human. Give yourself more compassion. I hope you join me in my From the Heart community. Links are in the show notes.